Hi everyone, I'm Michelle Jobin and you are listening to Time to Talk, a podcast for caregivers. This podcast is dedicated to helping family caregivers in Ontario. Through expert tips and resources, you will gain knowledge and validation for the ups and downs that come with caregiving. More importantly, you'll learn that you're not alone. It's so important to take this time for yourself. We're glad you're here. Today we are joined by Dr. Natasha Sharma, creator of The 8-Hour Therapist and The Kindness Journal. She is a motivational speaker and an internationally recognized authority on relationships, parenting, and mental health. Natasha has helped thousands of people lead better lives through cultivating emotional fitness. Today's episode is all about how we can maintain and enrich the relationships we have with those around us who may be outside of our caregiving bubble. Dr. Sharma, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. So I really wanted to dive into this concept of emotional fitness, and this is something that you are a big advocate for. Can you define that for us? And how does emotional fitness affect our relationships with those around us and the relationship that we have with ourselves? To call it emotional fitness is really the idea that we can train ourselves and we can work on it to make it very strong, to make ourselves emotionally strong, but it does require effort and it does require attention and conscious action toward actually cultivating fitness, just like we would take care of our physical fitness. And the way I define emotional fitness is sort of threefold. So number one, a very uh, strong degree of self-awareness. And it's not easy for us to actually go inward and really understand who we are, what we are, why we do the things the way we do them. Um, but that really sort of authentically understanding and accepting unconditionally who we are is are two of the key components of emotional fitness. So self-awareness and unconditional self-love and acceptance of that person, flaws, successes, all of it, uh, past, all of it. And then the other aspect of emotional fitness is being able to regulate and be consciously in control of how we respond to our environment and our world around us. Because at the end of the day, we are the ones who are responsible for that. We can choose how to respond. We have the ability to choose that respond, responsibility, if you will. So that's how I define emotional fitness. So how would that relate to our relationships with those around us? So I, I, it's my firm belief that the relationships that we have around us are always enhanced and bettered uh, and really they're at their best when the relationship with ourself is a very healthy one. It doesn't have to be perfect. You know, this idea of achieving a perfect, first of all, perfection is an illusion. It doesn't exist. It's just perfect for you in the sense that you have with yourself a healthy level of acceptance, confidence, understanding, patience, generosity, kindness, and compassion to yourself. And that literally is that first tenet of emotional fitness. When we have that, when we are able to live with ourselves and love and value ourselves like that, again, with all of our imperfections, which we all have, then we are better in every way to those around us, the people we're serving, the people we're caring for, the people who we love, and really every role that we play in the relationships that we have with other people are bettered by the fact that we are loving, in, in love with ourselves, truly. 
And I can see how that sort of creates a cycle because if you're, you're feeling more comfortable in your relationship with yourself and then that helps to better your relationship with others, that can only feed into a better feeling of being at peace with yourself as well, I assume. You know, when we value ourselves, we treat ourselves well. If you think of something that you have at home that is very precious to you, maybe a, a, a beautiful necklace that was passed down or a lovely vase or a couch or what have you, if it's, if it's something you value, you treat it that way. You don't fling it around. You don't just kind of, you know, let it sit in the, in the, in the corner somewhere. You, you treat it with respect. So when we come to view ourselves in that same way, as a person of value, as a person of worth, we treat ourselves with respect. And this enhances our relationships with the people around us because then we demand, we need, we have those needs to be respected in return. And so we, we create the kind of relationship or we aim to create the relationship that we desire by valuing ourselves first. When it comes to caregivers, I assume this, these two components of emotional fitness, the value of the self, and then also that sort of, and if I'm saying it wrong, forgive me, but the, that sort of emotional re regulation of how you interact with the rest of the world are two very important things to have in balance. So can you speak about how uh, this concept relates specifically to caregivers? Absolutely. So when we think of uh, caregivers, I mean, the word give is literally in the word itself, caregiving. This actually puts them at a particularly high risk for giving, overgiving and actually giving to the point where um, they may not be receiving. So a key component of any healthy relationship with yourself and healthy relationship with others is to be both giving and receiving. The caregiver is often at risk for um, giving too much in a nutshell and not receiving enough. And we have to receive in two ways. We receive by give, giving to ourselves. So we're receiving from ourselves. That's self-care, valuing ourselves, taking care of ourselves, actually taking actions that are centered around being the caregiver to ourselves, and also receiving from the people around us, our closest relationships, our friends and families. So it's extremely important, this idea of emotional fitness and attaining a balance between valuing yourself and understanding and being self-aware of when that uh, balance between giving and receiving is now become disproportionate and potentially causing things like burnout, depressed mood, problems in relationships and so forth. So I'm assuming you would then, uh, and you said it, you would advocate for a caregiver to carve out time for themselves. That's part of giving to themselves. What's a healthy amount of time to take for oneself daily or on a weekly basis? It's going to vary because we don't live the same day twice and we don't live the same sort of um, chapter of our lives. They, they don't look the same, right? So there are going to be days, weeks, maybe even months where carving out time for ourselves might look very small. And there will be other seasons in our lives where we'll have a lot, much, much, much more time to be able to focus on the self. But you know, it's funny, like even with people who don't have particularly stressful jobs or consuming family life, the statistics are still overwhelming that most people still don't carve enough time out to really sit with themselves, to really actually care for the self. And as you know, um, all of us, we best serve the people around us when we ourselves are taken care of, when we're taking care of ourselves, when we feel um, that our energy is not being depleted. So, 
you know, and this is of course no exception to caregivers. They're at their best when they themselves are cared for and taken, taken care of. So the, the amount of time isn't so much the question, but it's the consistency. It must be a habit. We need to create that habit. It should be a matter of lifestyle that at least once a day, we do something that is just for ourselves. It has need not have any other benefit for anybody else. Nobody else needs to benefit, not your children, not any patients, not your spouse, not your friends, just you. Now they may, they may indirectly benefit from it, but it's really just about you. And I think that, you know, at a minimum, we have to incorporate something into every day where we do something, maybe it's just five minutes. Maybe there's a day where it's only five minutes. Maybe another day you can manage an hour. I think the more important thing is to maintain some form, maintain some form of conscious consistency in carving out time that is just for us in every day. Without that little voice that can, I, I mean, not speaking for everyone, but for myself, if I have that time sometimes, that little voice pops up is like, oh, I could be doing something productive. <laughs> but I, what, I, what I hear you're saying is, that in and of itself is productive to take time for ourselves. Well, there's no question about that. So scientifically, there's every piece of research is, um, supports that when we balance our rest time with productivity time and, and on time with off time, we are capable of so much more. But more importantly, I think it's about connecting to the choice, right? Yeah, I, I guess I could be doing something else right now. I could be doing something other than this podcast. You and I could be doing something other than this but we choose consciously to be here. Could we be doing something else that is maybe productive, less, more, just something else? Of course, but that's not the point. The point is we intentionally consciously choose to do this. And I think that becomes the more powerful um, mental aspect of connecting to, yeah, I guess I could clean up the dishes, you know, right now because there's a sink full of them, but you know what? They'll still be there. I, I can do those later. or I can do those tomorrow. I choose to take this 30 minutes for me right now. I don't have to go and do that. This, I think you touched on this briefly already, but how specifically does building that self-care into a caregiver's routine enhance the experience of caregiving? And I think that might be for, for both sides of that equation as well. Can you speak to that a little bit? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no question. You know, I mean, we all have lives. We all we are all humans and caregivers and professionals and in healthcare and, and and so forth and in every. I mean, there's there's so many iterations of a caregiver, right? And um, um, professionally and and non-professionally. And when we are depleted, I guess when we are so depleted uh, that and it often sneaks up on you. You might not even realize that you've been depleted. And I think particularly it's because of that reward cycle. So the reward is, you know, if you're working sort of a different kind of a role, the depletion might come sooner. But with a caregiver, it can actually come much later because you get that reward feedback. So it's really that much more important for caregivers to be in tune, to be self-aware. Um, I, I personally, I really enjoy journaling and to, to take time to reflect and really ask yourself deeply, um, how am I doing? How many of us ask ourselves that? We ask other people that if we're, if we're <laughs> empathic, how are you doing? How often do we ask ourselves, how am I doing? And really sit and answer that question. Are you a caregiver and have some questions? The Ontario Caregiver Helpline provides caregivers with a one-stop resource for information and support. Whether you are looking for respite care in your area, support groups, 
information about financial supports or help navigating the health and social service systems, the Ontario Caregiver Helpline is here to connect you to the resources you need 24-7. Call to speak to a Helpline Community Resource Specialist at 1-833-416-CARE. That's 1-833-416-CARE. Now, back to our episode. When it comes to those of us that are caregivers, many of us have multiple layers to our lives. I mean, many people in general, but caregiving is yet another layer. So we have people that are part of a couple or romantic relationship or also have children as well. Um, So these are all the relationships that a caregiver might be balancing on top of their, their relationship to the person they're giving care for. You've talked about the importance of maintaining a strong foundation with your partner after kids and how essentially you need to make your partner a top priority. I want to take a look at that concept through the lens of caregiving and how couples can sort of build a plan together to maintain a strong relationship when there is also the element of caregiving beyond even parenting, but with you know, someone that they might be taking care of beyond that. It's an intricate balance. And just to, to, to throw, you know, a personal story of mine into this, we found out that my father had late stage lung cancer when my son was six months old. I don't think I would have gotten through that point had my husband not been as generous with his time mm-hmm. um, and his understanding about the fact that really everybody else needed me. So it was hard at that time to balance that. So I think for me, it was that give and take. He, I think he realized that in this short of, shorter term that he needed to sort of extend himself more than he may have needed to mm-hmm. had we not been in that set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. So when we throw that element into, say you're part of a couple, you have kids as well, or perhaps not, but then you've also got perhaps someone that is sick or uh, has, you know, mobility challenges that you have to care for or cognitive challenges or or things like that. That's a whole extra layer. It is. Um, Yeah. And more and more people are, this is our reality more and more because our parents are living longer and some of them are living healthy and some of them are not. And, and yes, you introduce a, a very important other aspect is when we're not just, you know, the reality of caregiving for our children and raising them and also caring for um, the other generation. Forget about what you then like if you could add a third layer, if you happen to be a caregiver in your profession, I actually had a client like that. Oh, wow. oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, the therapy was, was very needed and tremendously helpful, but yeah, I mean, these are the layers that we don't always know. And I think it's important to, when you share your story, it's, stepping in and, and trying to give more where, where you can, when you can. If, if a person is stronger emotionally, uh, what have you, it's okay to give a little bit more then. That's fine. You don't want to give more if you're feeling emotionally weak. And in the example that you gave, you were feeling certainly probably more emotionally weak. So it was very wonderful that you had your husband who could, who could step in and give a little bit more at that time. Yes. And I I think we tried to keep the communication as open as possible to share with one another how important we were to one another. So is that 
you know, in terms of prioritizing your romantic relationships, is, is, is it as simple as that? Just checking in and saying, hey, you know, I, I just appreciate you so much and I love you. Or is there any other advice that you could give for someone in that sort of situation? Yeah, I mean, appreciating our spouses is, um, especially when we're super busy, like, and, 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 and under the kind of challenging situations that, you know, you just described, or, or even just the day-to-day, you know, when it's not overtly challenging, but is just nevertheless still very toll-taking, you know, because it's, it's busy and there's so much to do. I think it's so important to remember, it's never, it's never, you're never over saying, you know, when you tell someone, thank you so much for dinner, I really appreciate you, I appreciate you in my life, but I also appreciate these specific things. And studies have shown that those are absolutely monumental in terms of making huge differences in how people feel when they feel appreciated, when they feel seen. We all want to be seen and recognized for those contributions. And yes, um, another tip is to keep that conversation going and not just, um, you know, getting to know one another and catching up on our days, which is invariably the routine that people fall into when they live together, but more like, what's going on for you? Like, how are you doing with the life that's separate? Like your own internal world. I think we have to go, we we need to become aware of our own internal world, but I think it's also deeply important to share what we have learned about our internal self and our internal world with those who are the most closest to the closest to us, like our partners so that they can, connect with us and join with us on that journey. We're not mind readers, no matter how long we've been married, we need to, or together, we need to help our spouses understand what's going on for us. And and as we move along in this journey of life, absolutely. What about parents who are caregiving for a child that may be ill or has different abilities? And how about maintaining the bond with their partner in spite of that extra care that is, that is uh, needed for their child? It's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, I, it's sort of two things I would say. One is to be validating and acknowledging, gently acknowledging the distress, you know, or the challenge that's there. It is, sometimes things are um, taxing on us and they are, they do cause us um, stress and it's really, Uh, more about how we're managing that. How are we going to cope and problem solve around what is legitimately at times a very stressful situation. And I think it's good to connect on that, not in it, but at the same time, not amplify the negativity and the stress because what we focus on expands, right? So if you want to focus on how difficult it is and how challenging it is and how you wished it could be that way and how what you don't have, then all of that will expand in your mind. That will become your world and your reality. Whereas if you just gently acknowledge together, yeah, you know what, I, this is really hard sometimes. And you both say it and you both feel the same thing and you can connect on feeling that same way, but at the same time, consciously shift to what's beautiful about this? Like, what is the amazing thing that our child did last week? You know, let's, let's talk about that. Let's focus on that. And what is going well for us in our lives? What is the, what is the positive that is coming out of our efforts and, and what we're doing to raise this human being? And, and you focus on that, and then that becomes what expands. So my advice is very much to gently acknowledge, you know, the negative, but don't amplify it and instead amplify what's going well. And let's throw another layer into this, which is career. 
many caregivers have families, Mm -hmm. have their caregiving responsibilities, and all of that can be incredibly rewarding. And then on top of that, many of them have careers that are completely external to any of these things. Do you have any tips on how any of this can be balanced while maintaining a career? I think when it, when it comes to balance, and I, I, I think I've said this on more than one occasion to anyone who knows me or has followed me, is that probably 99%, if not all of the world's problems and our own personal problems can be summed up in a lack of balance. Like you're out of balance in some way. Some, something, you've got too much of one thing and not enough of another. And I think that part of the reason we struggle with balance is because a lot of us aren't intentional about our lives. We're not really conscious about what we're taking in, what we're doing, why we're doing it. You know, so obviously we, we all need to live. We all need to eat and survive and have love and relationships. There are some basic needs that all of us will have. Those will never change. But I think in, what happens is we end up with a lifestyle and a life that kind of happens, right? It starts just kind of, stuff just starts kind of coming and into it and it, it becomes our life and, and we don't really think well, how did I get here? Do I, what is in my life? Do I, do I like what's in my life? Do I like all of it? Is there something that I, why am I doing this? Do I need to be doing this? Or is this something I can let go of? And I think this is something that has uh, played a large role in contributing to this sort of lack of balance. And as caregivers, um, again, because of the, the bandwidth that caregiving requires, it's just, extra important that caregivers take that time to be intentional about their lives. How important are friendships when we look at um, caregivers that may have a lot of other things going on that have that extra element to their usually busy schedule of caregiving? How do, do you have any advice on how to fit friendships into a schedule that is this busy? I think friendships are important for everybody. And I think that Many caregivers may consciously make the sacrifice. Some probably do it unconsciously. They don't maybe realize it till it's caught up with them. And then others might actually have the conscious aware because, you know, they're they're maybe contributing to a higher cause, right? Like they sort of can consciously say, no, I'm I'm okay with letting go of this part of my life or like having it greatly reduced because I really, I'm really dedicated to this this outer cause of helping others and, and, and really being for them and there and elevating them. And this is, again, we're kind of going across all iterations of caregiving and, and healthcare, but, or just care. But I will say that friendships are absolutely vital to the quality of our life. And it doesn't matter if you're a caregiver or a parent or a student or a five-year-old or an 85-year-old. It doesn't matter where you are and who you are. This is the absolutely universal concept is friendships are absolutely critical to our well-being. I mean, will you drop dead with no friends tomorrow? Absolutely not. But we know that without connection through friendship, what happens over time is things like reduced immunity, shortened lifespan because of that reduced immunity, um, and just increasing chances for lower mood and just, a, just a, over time is what, what happens. And there's an interesting statistic I recently came to know of um, in recent years, and that is that after the age of about 50, 55, which is I think the new, the new midlife, <laughs> after midlife, friendships become the biggest predictor of our happiness. And I mean, so if we're not making time for them, and again, this doesn't have to be equal, like what your neighbor can do and what you can do 
It's not a competition, but if we're not making time for them in some way, shape or form, this is not good for us. All family caregivers face challenges, which is why the Ontario Caregiver Organization created the Peer Support Program. This program is a free resource where you can share your experiences with other caregivers to help build your confidence and make you feel more supported by those who understand what you're going through. Go to ontariocaregiver.ca to be matched with a peer mentor today. Remember, you're not alone. Now, back to our episode. We've talked about how in modern life, most people struggle to balance it all. And that's something that pretty much most people can relate to. But when we are caregivers, that is amplified. So how can caregivers manage that feeling of being overwhelmed that naturally comes with the job of caregiving? I think knowing what we're going into and consciously stepping into that is is crucial. It's very key. So if your expectations, we get what we expect, right? So we can um, understand, I think, what the nature of a caregiving role is, depending on what capacity we're doing that in, and then consciously, intentionally step into that and all that it offers. How can caregivers feel more empowered beyond what you've just told us to make changes to ensure they maintain a healthy lifestyle? Yeah. both mentally and physically, because again, it's that whole thing. When you feel like you, you don't have any time, sometimes those are your mental and physical health are those things that can fall by the wayside. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for that? Absolutely. I think it's a, we have a tendency to look outward and to look externally and blame. Like it's, it's somebody else's fault that I don't have time or it's because of this or make excuses. Like I have to do that. Of course I don't have time. I don't have time. We have it, it all, you have to bring it back to the self and that's the empowerment. Um, we are not in control of everything. Absolutely not. But whatever it is that we have control over, whatever we can influence, wherever we can ask, a lot of people don't ask for what they need. Go and ask for the things that you need, the things that you want. So bringing it back to caregivers and all of us, if you need something in your workplace and you're not in control of it, See what you can do to get help, seek support, ask your managers, ask your teammates, ask your colleagues, ask the people you work with for what you need. If you need a better schedule, there's nothing that can, all you can do is ask. The worst thing that they can say is no. And then you can control what you want to do from there and so forth. So it really comes down to us making a choice in acting on what we have control over and accepting what we don't have control over and deciding what we want to do next based on that. Yeah, if we just sit around and wait for people to give us or expect to know what we need, that's that's definitely not really a very empowering thing. So no. I'm sure that much more will fall into place, like you said, once we go out there and actually make those moves to make it known what we do need. That is great advice. Thank you for that. Regarding resources that caregivers can look into to sort of maintain their emotional fitness, I understand that you are a big advocate for the benefits of CBT or what is it's known as cognitive behavioral therapy. Can you explain to our listeners what exactly CBT is and why you find it so effective? Absolutely. So CBT, cognitive being thinking or our thought process and behavioral meaning our actions. So our thought process, what we think 
is our, actually how we experience our world. Our whole world is created by how we think, right? It's not what is, it's what, how we process what is. What's around us, what's happening, our interactions, it's how we process it. It's our opinion of those things. So what CBT is, or cognitive behavioral therapy or cognitive behavioral work really, is understanding what are those thoughts? How do I process my world? What are my opinions? First coming to awareness of what they are. What do I think? And most people or many people aren't fully aware um, on multiple levels of what they, how they actually think, how they process. So it's the idea of understanding how are we processing something? What is my belief? What is my thought right, about this? And how does that create my emotional experience? Because that is exactly how our emotional experiences are created. Thought creates emotion and emotion drives our action. So if we know how to create our own emotion, that's an incredibly powerful thing to understand because we can create the kinds of emotions that are desirable to us uh, within reason, obviously. And that doesn't mean that we're going to feel great and wonderful and positive and fantastic all the time. Not at all. It means we can feel a proportionate amount of emotion given a certain situation, but we can also work to and seek to um, feel some of the best kinds of emotions much more of the time. And this, of course, is hugely motivating. Once you feel that way more of the time or much of the time, almost not, you're unstoppable. Like almost anything becomes possible. You want to go and like build that business you've been wanting to, like you'll, you'll, you'll be at it because those positive emotions are what lift you up and motivate you. They give you the energy. They give you that, that drive. So the, the idea of going back to it again is just understanding how you can control what you think how you process the world around you so that you can create the kind of emotions and behavior that help you accomplish your dreams and your goals. And I assume that uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is something that you put into process in the work that you do. Yes. I mean, CBT, as it's known, and a lot of people are now familiar with that term and, and what it stands for. But this idea of understanding and challenging one's own thinking process and really bringing a consciousness to one's own thinking process so as to create this kind of um, emotional uh, experience and, and action-oriented life is very much the basis of the work I've done as a counseling therapist. Um, it's also the basis of a program, an online e-learning program that I've helped to co-create called The 8-Hour Therapist, which is literally um, an e-learning or online course that helps people teach themselves how to be their own therapist by teaching them the principles of cognitive behavioral therapy, how to do it, how to administer it to themselves for, for throughout the life. You've given us a lot of great uh, insight today and a lot of great advice that will be very helpful to caregivers, I think. If people would like to learn more about you and the work that you, that you do, how can they find you? So they can absolutely find me on the internet. I'm at uh, natashasharma.com and I am also on Instagram as well. Oh, Dr. Natasha Sharma, thank you so much for being here and speaking with us today. We appreciate it so much. Thank you. It was a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can access more details about support services on our website, ontariocaregiver.ca. Until next time, I'm Michelle Jobin, and you have been listening to Time to Talk, a podcast for caregivers. We hope you have a wonderful day.